Hi, we're New Edition, and we're here to introduce the great new taste of Coca-Cola, the taste of today. Shark bites fruit snacks. You've got to eat them before they eat you. Oh, you mean Keebler Magic Middles. We hide lots of delicious melted chocolatey filling inside crisp cookies. Introducing G.I. Joe Action Stars brand cereal, a delicious part of this complete breakfast. Crunchy stars that taste great. Hello, food fans. Welcome back to the latest episode of Forgotten Foods brought to you by the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop. This is your host, Rob Lamley. On Forgotten Foods, I'll be doing a deep dive into the history behind your favorite sentimental snacks, canceled candies, bygone soft drinks, and discontinued fast food items. For this first miniseries, we're looking at the history and the mystery behind the snack that was set to sweep the nation in the early 1980s, only to disappear before it ever really got off the ground. That's right, we're talking about the stuff. Last time on Forgotten Foods, we learned about the odd circumstances surrounding the FDA approval of the stuff, including suspicious retirements and tragically suspicious deaths. We learned that the small town of Stater, Virginia was virtually abandoned after some of its population were test marketers for the stuff, with everyone moving to Midland, Georgia, where the stuff was made. But that wasn't the first time we'd heard about Midland. In episode 2, we learned that Nicole Kendall, the head of Fletcher Marketing and the lead creative on the Stuff Nationwide rollout campaign, had visited the Midland plant just before some kind of trouble started in nearby Atlanta that seems to have stopped the stuff in its tracks. So if we're going to continue our investigation into the stuff, it seems that all roads lead to Midland. Midland is part of the consolidated city-county that makes up the Columbus, Georgia metro area, the second largest metro in the state behind Atlanta. Columbus's largest employer is Fort Benning, where, among other operations, the United States Army's infantry and armor schools are based. But back in the 1970s and 80s, one of the top five employers in the area was Fletcher Enterprises, with approximately 1,000 employees. Fletcher opened a clay mine in Midland in 1974 and continued operations there until 1986, after James Fletcher was found dead in his office and the entire company was sold off in pieces. Securities and Exchange Commission records show that the mine has since changed hands more than once, and remains open to this day under its current owners, Vatco Industries. Just how Fletcher Enterprises and Good Stuff Inc. came together seems to be a story lost to time. I couldn't find a single newspaper or magazine article that even mentioned Fletcher buying Good Stuff. It seems odd in the modern era where we hear about every move a megacorporation makes, but maybe it was the kind of news that only interested Wall Street investors at the time, so it didn't make the regular papers. However, I did find an article published May 7, 1985, in the Ledger Inquirer a small Columbus, Georgia-based newspaper that mentioned an influx of people moving to Midland from Stater, Virginia, to work at Good Stuff, Inc. The article quotes Bill Mitchell, the then-president of the Columbus Chamber of Commerce, saying the Good Stuff, Inc. plant saw employment levels spike from only 25 people to nearly 350 in a matter of months. Mitchell mentions that the company needed a larger workforce because they were ramping up production of the stuff in anticipation of FDA approval and a nationwide release. Mitchell and the rest of the Chamber of Commerce were excited to see that their favorite snack food was about to hit the big time. Now, like I said in the last episode, Stater's largest employer had just moved its operations to Mexico, so the people of Stater needed a break. Maybe Good Stuff heard about how much the people there loved the stuff, heard about their hard times, and offered them all jobs. I couldn't find anything to back this up, but maybe it really was just Good Stuff doing Good Stuff. Unfortunately, what happened to many of those employees is nothing short of a tragedy. Malcolm Gromit Spears was a 20-year U.S. Army veteran, serving in both Korea and Vietnam. Near the end of his second tour of Vietnam in 1969, Lieutenant Spears was accused of war crimes when he allegedly ordered his platoon of 15 soldiers to execute 18 men, 25 women, 
and 11 children, whom he accused of being in league with the Viet Cong. At his court-martial, Spears claimed his men acted in self-defense. Only a handful of his platoon were willing to testify against him, so Spears was spared any jail time and was instead dishonorably discharged. Feeling slighted by the military, Spears began speaking out publicly against what he saw as corruption within all branches of government, making a name for himself on the ham radio network as Colonel Spears, spewing conspiracy theories and right-wing propaganda on his late-night call-in show Radio USA, based out of his hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. Over the next decade, Spears' influence in conservative circles grew, and he was able to turn his rants into a full-time career as an author and keynote speaker at several conservative conventions. He eventually moved from ham radio and bought his own station, WRWB 560 AM, in 1981. Two years later, he bought the FM frequency license for 106.8 WGHQ. Both signals were sent out of the same station on the corner of 4th and Main in Atlanta. I managed to track down a former employee at the station, Cindy Stacker, and talk to her about her days working for Spears. I was a front desk receptionist for a short time at WRWB under Colonel Spears. We both attended North Fulton way back before it consolidated with Northside. Of course, he was just Malcolm back then. He was always kind of a bully and a hothead, so when I heard he'd joined the military and been accused of those terrible things, I really wasn't too surprised. I was already working there when he bought the station. Because we knew each other from before, he kept me on, but I didn't stay very long. It was what you'd call today a very hostile work environment. Spears was a chauvinistic pig, constantly making passes at any woman who foolishly crossed his path, and he only hired men who were like him, obnoxious and sexist. I wasn't there when he made those claims about the stuff on air. The colonel was always going off on things like that. Fluoride in the water, JFK was still alive and living in a bunker somewhere. I'm not surprised at all that he thought the stuff was some kind of conspiracy. The guy was as crazy as a house rat. Oh, I'm sorry, can I say that? Cindy's referring to a broadcast made in July 1985, wherein Spears went on a lengthy tirade about the stuff on both WRWB and WGHQ. Unfortunately, any official recordings of the broadcast were lost when the station burned down in August of 1985 under mysterious circumstances. The best I could find were snippets that local listeners happened to tape and have since uploaded to the internet. Here's what I could find. My fellow Americans, this is Colonel Malcolm Gromit Spears. I have never misled you, and I will never mislead you. Tonight, America is in grave danger. We are under alien attack by a substance which represents itself as a popular dessert known as the stuff. If the stuff is in your house, do not eat it. Repeat, I mark you, do not eat it. If you are a merchant and have it on your shelves, do not sell it. If you happen to have a distributorship and you distribute this material, close your doors, make no more sales. As wild as the colonel's beliefs might have been, he did have a following. In fact, he had his own small militia, for lack of a better word. Spears had purchased an old Southern Baptist missionary just outside of Woodbury, Georgia, about 60 miles south of Atlanta, and turned it into a compound where he and his men ran training exercises and stockpiled weapons for the day they thought they'd have to fight back against a communist invasion. In fact, John Milius, the director and co-writer of Red Dawn, the 1984 film about a group of high school students who fight back against a communist invasion, was good friends with Spears and visited the compound on more than one occasion. And it was this militia, with Spears in command, that stormed the gates at the Midland Goodstuff Inc. plant just hours before Spears' broadcast. After killing the guard at the gate, Spears and his men made their way inside. According to police reports after the attack, as many as six Goodstuff employees were killed by gunfire, but dozens of first-shift employees died 
when poisonous gas leaked from a tank that had presumably been hit by a stray bullet. The employees had been caught without protective gear in one of the plant's storerooms and suffocated to death. Murder charges were brought against a handful of Spears' men, and manslaughter charges were leveled against everyone involved in the raid. However, Spears would never go to court. He was arrested in August, just after his station burned down, and was found hanging in his jail cell four months later while awaiting trial. Almost unanimously, his men were convicted, but most only served a year or two at most. It was difficult to prove who had fired the shots that killed the Good Stuff employees, so most of their charges were reduced. Only Carl Woods, the man who shot the front gate guard, was convicted and served any real time for the raid. He was killed in a jail yard squabble before he could serve out his 14-year term. But Spears' war on the stuff didn't stop with his broadcast. For the next few weeks, while the police sorted out what happened at the Good Stuff plant, Spears and his followers started a vigilante campaign to shut down the stuff. Grocery stores were bullied into throwing away their stock, piles of the product were burned in the streets, and even the one and only stuff shack was destroyed. Spears threatened any journalists that attempted to write about the militia's actions, so the purging of the stuff happened almost in secret. There are a small number of first-hand accounts online, but I couldn't find anyone willing to go on the record to talk about it. Even after all these years, it seems Spears and his men still have a stranglehold on the people of Atlanta. Between dozens of dead employees, an assault by a right-wing militia, the backlash in Atlanta, and the closure of their Midland plant while the police investigated the raid, it's no surprise Fletcher Enterprises pumped the brakes on the stuff. The brand had simply become too toxic to attempt a nationwide release. You would think, with a genius like Nicole Kendall as creative director at Fletcher Marketing, that Fletcher Enterprises could have found a way to spin the story in Midland. However, as former Fletcher Marketing employee Carol Schneider told us in the second episode, Kendall never returned to the office after her trip to Midland. In doing research on the Good Stuff plant raid, I found a handful of people online who claimed to have heard a rather interesting second broadcast on Colonel Spears' radio stations. I reached out to one of them, Larry Moore, to talk about what he had heard. I was 14, so I remember it pretty well. My daddy used to listen to Colonel Spears all the time, ranting and raving about commies and liberals and the military-industrial complex. All that bullshit. We was listening that day when Spears got on and was talking about the stuff being a communist plot, take over America's minds. My daddy and I thought it was a joke at first, but the longer he went on and on, the more we knew he believed it. So the colonel went on for a good 20 minutes, maybe longer, and then he handed the microphone over to a woman. I don't remember her name, but she was saying how sorry she was that she'd tried to sell the people the stuff. She talked about how she had done ads for the stuff and how she wasn't going to do them anymore now that she knew the truth. She didn't talk too long before Spears got back on and kept going, but I remember her for sure. Could this mysterious woman who claimed to have made ads for the stuff be Nicole Kendall? Was she somehow mixed up in the Spears broadcast? If it was Kendall, did she agree to the broadcast on her own, or was she coerced by Colonel Spears? If Kendall was at the Midland plant when it was raided by Spears, it's entirely possible that he essentially held her hostage and made her issue the apology in an effort to give his conspiracy theory credibility. Unfortunately, we may never know the answers to these questions. I found Kendall's YouTube video about the dangers of GMOs that Carol referred to in episode 2, but it was from 2008, and there have been no further videos posted. I looked for Nicole Kendall all over Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and a bunch of other more obscure social media sites, but found no trace of her. Google results only show newspaper and trade magazine articles from her marketing days in the 1980s. Public records show nothing about her after 2005, when her last known address was a P.O. box in Hoven, South Dakota, population 379. Clearly, Nicole Kendall doesn't want to be found. Between redacted government documents, the deaths of so many people who worked on the stuff, and my inability to find Nicole Kendall, 
I thought my journey to discover what really happened to the stuff had come to an end. But all this digging apparently raised a few red flags, and someone actually reached out to me, ready to tell their story. That story is almost too fantastical to be believed, and will make for the perfect ending to this series. So be sure to come back for the final episode of The Stuff on Forgotten Foods. Thanks for checking out Forgotten Foods presented by the Space Monkey X Audio Workshop. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, if you have any questions or comments about our current series, reach out to me on Twitter at SpaceMonkeyX. Head over to our website, SpaceMonkeyX.net, for this episode's show notes, as well as links to our other podcasts. This has been your host, Rob Lamley. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time for our wild conclusion. Thank <laughs> you.